0: Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for listening. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity, same title as this podcast, which is available on Amazon. A Gift from Adversity is about my life and my book. And The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying and Homelessness. After I experienced all of this growing up in Japan, I decided to publish this book because I had a lot of speaking jobs and people always asked me do you have a book and I didn't. So I decided to publish my book. This book is not only talking about the adversity part of it but also some of the tools that I use to overcome, and then my experiences of running a nonprofit, and then a message to the victims, perpetrator, and then friends and families around the victims. So check it out gift from Adversity. Before I introduce my guest, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and learning together and then having this difficult conversation together. So let's invite our guest today. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for coming in.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Juri.
0: Great. So let's uh, introduce you. Can you tell our audience your name, where you're coming in from today and what you do and if you have any website or social media?
1: Certainly. So my name is Suzanne Kohlberg. I'm the NOPE coach as in N-O-P-E, teaching people to say no to others so they can say yes to themselves. I am joining you from the lovely Sydney, Australia. And my website is susankolberg.com, which I'll send to you to put in the show notes because the spelling of Kohlberg always <laughs> always gets people.
0: And do you have any Instagram or social media?
1: Yes, also Suzanne Kohlberg's Instagram is Suzanne underscore Kohlberg and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Suzanne Kohlberg. I'm fortunate to be the only one so far in the world with the name makes things easy.
0: so this is episode 89 and i'm very very grateful that you came in today from australia so let's dive into our first question which is the adversity so suzanne can you tell our audience
1: what was your adversity so from from a young age i've struggled with my weight and my parents had the best intention at the time, but put me on my first diet at age four. So from age four through 30, I was a yo-yo dieter. And my real adversity, though, was bullying. And I linked a lot of that to my weight, like bullied as a result of my weight, but also bullied for, you know, being gifted and just many types of bullying and I was bullied right from primary school so as young as I can remember through high school through medical school even a little bit into the workplace and I guess a lot of people don't really understand the effects that bullying can have because when you start to speak up for yourself like people feel like I just meant it as a joke and it's like it's not a joke to the person who's experiencing that and I think sometimes bullying is one of the last acceptable forms of of um adversity because people would be like oh you're just too soft or you've got a thin thin skin and they can kind of get away with it in a way so yeah it it wasn't pleasant and um it wasn't easy to speak up for myself for a long time
0: so the weight part of it and then the bullying part of it those two different things but then Mainly, what kind of things um, do you think that you remember that some hurt you the most in terms of bullying?
1: So when I was young and I was at school, I remember people, when I was, I can't remember what grade I was in, I think it came out in 94 the original jurassic park movie you know where the water glass moves and that you know that the tyrannosaurus is coming people would shake their water bottles or shake their glasses and go oh here comes the you know here comes the sudan because insinuating that i was that big that the ground was literally shaking i remember um when it came to sports and things and like teams or things to try out for i remember one teacher once looking me up and down and going No, you need to be on the lighter side of life. So it was like not being included in things like that. I remember kids following me around going Godzilla and stuff. Um, I remember when I was quite young, some kids saying to me, how many rolls in a bakery? Like I didn't understand the insult at first. Um, I remember asking my parents about it and then then having to explain it and being uncomfortable I remember um, when I was at medical school I because I yo-yo dieted like I was always trying to do something when the we had a halfway graduation and we had this big cake like for the whole class of like 90 of us and somehow they got a picture of me next to the cake And so they posted this in the yearbook, like it's published. You can pick it up and see it. It's available. Um, There's a little thought bubble above my head saying, me so hungry. And then somebody has like Photoshopped out the cake with just put like crumbs there and saying better now. Um, And just all sorts of things. And then like just so many examples, the names, fatty tube sticks and um, just, yeah, really, really horrible names. And then if I ever said anything, it's like, well, you know, just don't eat so much or jokes about like, um, yeah, just have a salad, salad dodger. That was another thing that I was called, salad dodger. Um, And how it was funny. I remember a teacher once we did some interview thing, like, you know, you ask questions. And one of the questions was, what do you dislike? And she said, unfit bodies. And I was, I I can't remember how I responded to that because I I took it to heart. And sometimes, you know, things are a jibe and a dig and sometimes that's, you know, their way. And um, I can't remember what I responded, but I remember her saying something to me like, well, that's something you can control. Just try going for a run. Um, And all the advice over the years, have you tried keto? Have you tried paleo? And if you ever speak up for yourself, people will be like, oh, I'm worried about you. And, yes, people may be worried about your physical health, but what about the mental and emotional toll that yo-yo dieting takes? And you don't know the story that goes on inside someone's head. Like you make an insinuation about seeing their body. Um, You don't know what happens behind the scenes. And I think with so many types of addictions, it can be quite hidden, but overeating is an addiction that can be worn for all to see. And also sometimes it's not necessarily overeating there can be hormonal things so I'm not saying blame it completely on that but I have had issues with you know thyroid and PCOS and all things that are linked to being heavier set so it is part of it but people just assuming that you just don't care about yourself or um, you don't even try and a lot of the things that they say um, it gets it gets really hard
0: So, this was happening in Sydney,
1: Australia. You grew up, you were, I grew up in Tasmania actually, the little island down the bottom that often gets left off the map. So, I grew up in Tasmania and then I moved to Queensland and then um, down to New South Wales. So, I've moved around a bit, but not until I was um, an adult. This all happened in Tasmania.
0: So, do you think the location being in Tasmania and Ireland, do you think that contributed it? Like, you know, versus if you were to born, if you were to be raised in Sydney, like Big City, do you think that would
1: have had different impact? I don't know. That's such a fascinating question because I've got children of my own now and when I visit their school things, um, I remember visiting my daughter's swimming carnival very recently and she, um, because that's another one I didn't even mention, the cross country, which is like the running race, the school carnival. I tried, like I really tried, but I was slow and I remember they were already packing up and like kids were getting on the bus and I was still racing. And I think in this current day, like now, they wouldn't do that for safety, security and all these purposes, but back then, and so the reason I bring that up is my daughter was in the swimming carnival and she wasn't going very well. And I was there bracing, waiting for the jeers, like waiting for people to say things. And and it was funny, the teacher and her best friend ran over to the side of the pool, was like, come on, Xanthi, you can do it. And when everyone else finished, they stayed in the pool, even though she wasn't even halfway across. And then when she finally got over the line, everybody in the stand stood up and clapped for her. And I was just, it was very healing for me. But I was like, I don't know. Like I was wondering if it's just the, the times are changing, but it could also be the location. But then we did go back to Tasmania for a very short period of time. Um, So my daughter was in school there and there was a cross-country situation where the the fit kids finished and I saw them leave and I was waiting for the big boy because I saw him at the beginning and I was like, I just had flashbacks, like, to me being at the school. And I didn't see where they went. And anyway, when he finally broke the trees, they had circled around, like lapped around and came across the finish line with him. And I just thought that that was so beautiful that they, like you know, everybody finished. It wasn't just a matter of well, we're done now. See you. So it was a very different experience and a very healing experience for me um, as an adult to witness that.
0: Yes, the reason why I asked the question is I was raised in a very small town, and then the booty was really bad. And then when I moved to a bigger town, it was bad, but it i got bullied also but then there was there was more choices i felt like because we knew everybody and there was no escape once you identified as a target of bullying and then you just like can't escape because there's only only like a few kids like maybe like i think it was like 50 60 kids in the grade where when you have like 400 kids in one grade there's a completely different animal. Because even if you don't fit in this group, and if you're even getting bullied in this group, you can even like move to different group. But then I didn't even have a choice because it was such a huge population. We Like I really grew up in like the village of 4,000 people. So I don't know if that, kind of contributed so that's kind of why i asked because i don't know anything about australia and then the the culture of bullying and intervention etc and then it's so crazy to me that the teacher make fun of the teacher made fun of you too and there's so much bystanders there's no upstanders in your situation and then um how was your mental health situation I know our generation, like we really lack um, the resources and education growing up, not really talked about the mental health issues um, compared to after the global pandemic that everybody was depressed and isolated, that we have a lot more normalized talk about mental health globally. But then back then, you know, we just didn't have the resources. So how did you describe your mental health stage growing up, being bullied in um, Tasmania?
1: I would say in hindsight that I was depressed. Um, it wasn't recognised. My My father went to Vietnam and I remember him saying, like when people talked about mental health or mental illness, He's like, we didn't have that in my time. You just pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and got things done. Like you guys are all pansies. And uh, I, I remember actually there was a gentleman in the town we lived. It was also quite a small town. So that whole point that you brought to the front is something I had never considered, but probably a big contributor. Cause my kids do go to a big school now, but there was a gentleman and he used to march and yell and he held his walking stick like a rifle and, I didn't understand i remember asking my mum about him once and she said he had ptsd from the war and i remember saying to my dad you know not that long ago you guys not saying that they weren't strong and didn't do things not downplaying what they went through at all but they didn't have the facilities and the resources that we did now we just ignored things so it was just easy i think it was easier too for my parents to be like here have some ice cream here have some chocolate which added to the problem because when I'm trying to speak up about what I'm going through or what I'm feeling, first is you're being downplayed by it. It's not that bad. Like, you know, when I was your age, people were going to war and stuff, which, as I said, once again, I'm not, I don't believe struggle is a competition, but sometimes when someone's coming to you saying they're having a hard time and you're trying to minimise it, it it actually could, can exacerbate it. So I'd say growing up I was definitely, you know, depressed and self-medicating with food and I remember at one stage I had a friend who used to cut, like physically self-harm, cut herself, and I'd look at her and I was like, like why would she do that to herself? And it wasn't until like years later after I'd eaten so much that I was literally wanting to vomit and feeling so uncomfortable that I was like, aren't I doing the very same thing except her thing's are external, like she's cutting thing, but I'm eating so much that it hurts and I'm causing pain internally than you're seeing externally, anyway. So I was like, it, "It's the it's the way to avoid, to shove down, to numb, to to like." It was the same sort of thing in my way, and other people listening, you may not agree. And I'm not claiming to be an expert on this, but when I see you know ways that we act in ways that aren't serving to us, but in the moment they bring some relief. And like the biggest thing that I'm so thankful for, jury is that there wasn't social media and stuff like there is now when I was a child because at least the bullying stopped once I got off the bus in the afternoon. Like I don't know how I could have coped if I was being tagged in things, if photos were being taken. Like that one photo being published in the yearbook nearly broke me. And by then I was 20 years old. Imagine as a young child, like I I don't know how, I don't, I, I just I can't imagine and I'm just so thankful that, I got the gift of not being the generation of that because it stopped when I got home. I had reprieve on the weekend and the school holidays. Whereas kids now, people now, like as an adult, like I don't have the bullying now, but you could, um, you can block and you can do that sort of stuff. But kids, they're in chat groups together. And as you said, they have friendship groups. And once they're targeted, people make f- fake accounts. Like when you're really trying to bully someone, blocking doesn't really let you get away from it. People are quite savvy with how they make their, targets
0: it's it's an amazing point about the cyberbullying um, I unfortunately had to write an article about a presentator father who lost his son to bullying in the cyberbullying to a su- suicide when he was 13 years old and the whole thing he gave me the book Ryan's story John Halligan you can search So John is an advocate for preventing the bullying and saying being bystander makes the bullying worse because if there's an audience and basically the bullying gets worse. And if there's only one upstander somehow that could said, okay, hey, that's not okay. And I was like watching like Zendaya's interview that she was cursed by her parents because there was bullying in like middle school that she, when she told her, she and her parents, and then just when they asked, what did you do? And nothing. So she got cursed because you could be upstandard and not bystander. So it's so crazy to me that even medical school, the situation of the cake that you mentioned How the hell all this intelligent wanted to be a doctor, medical students, nobody noticed that it was wrong and they said anything. And that stunned me. That just like culturally amazes me. It just, um, I was bullied, especially when I was um, like middle school, sixth grade, seventh grade. And also maybe eighth grade and also at work as well. And then they gang up on you and they just like keep doing things. And and you're right about the social media, like it's just brutal, absolutely brutal. Even my adult life, even my current life, people say nastiest stuff. And I feel like they can say nasty error stuff when it's texting. Then, then face to face, do they don't have courage to say that? They just like text you like nastiest thing that you can think of. So you're right. So I know you were maybe depressed. And then, how did your parents react to all this bullying?
1: My dad has always reacted to everything with physical. So he used to tell me just to hit them or punch them. Um, And I've never been into physical (laughs) things, Um, but he'd just be like, you know, smack them in the mouth or punch them. They'll they'll stop then. And my mum used to always just downplay it and it wasn't so bad. And she'd actually get really mad at me because when I went to high school, um, we had a blazer, which had to be dry cleaned. So that cost a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money um, at school. And it was a big contention in my household because I was the youngest by a long shot. So I was the only one who got to go to a private school. My sisters all went to public and they'd finished by the time I started school. But schools had changed a bit then. And my mum's like, where we live, that the public school's a bit rough. I want to send Suzanne private, a bit sensitive. Anyway, my, part of the bullying too, they'd throw food at me or they'd smash cake on my blazer and say, are you hungry? And I remember you know, mum's busy and she's tired. And I don't want to say like sound parent blaming here, but she'd be like oh not again you know like we can't keep affording to um to dry clean this all the time so i remember trying to take my blazer off when i got on the bus and shove it in my bag cuz so at least my uniform got dirty and then i could wash that by hand cuz i only had the one i only had the one dress one jumper um and then put the blazer on to kind of cover it and then wipe it out it was it was just a whole situation and i i remember um yeah just mum was not available for it like she was just like it's 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 fine just you know try not to be a target or whatever that's very helpful and my dad was just like just hit everybody um and I remember speaking to teachers it was funny there was one time in year 12 so this was like the last year of school before we I went up to university and I don't know how I'd angered this group I don't like I was very smart But not—I wouldn't say I was like smart alecky, but I don't know. Somehow, I'd I'd angered this group, and um, they told me that they were going to meet me after school and bash me and all this sort of stuff. And I was so scared. And I remember going to the dean of the school, and I'd been to the teachers before in other things and just been downplayed and ignored. He was on it. He had those students in the office, and he had them threatened with um, suspension. And he said, "If I hear anything about this again, you're expelled." And I was like. I had never had anyone take me seriously before I'd never had anyone like this is just not I'm not available for this and it was just it was so lovely to have that model for me that I was heard that it was taken seriously and that um it was sorted and they didn't dare come near me again because you know a threatening threatening of expulsion, especially you know the final year of school um and it was that easy too to handle i think as you said they they play off each other bullies and who can have it worse and like oh I'll get it in her hair or I'll get on her uniform and then they laugh and if you dare speak up or say anything oh we were just mucking around you just can't take a joke and yeah it's not it's not funny like the cake and stuff was annoying because it smeared and made a lot of mess the fruit was worse because apples and stuff would hurt when they threw them at you and I would bruise and stuff but yeah I don't I do remember speaking to my parents about it again and again, but I just remember my mum was always busy and just like, I I guess, I don't know if it brought back things from her own childhood. Um, I don't know. Like sometimes when I tell my story, especially about fat shaming and the things people said to me about my weight, so many people would say, Oh, that never happened. Like, it's just, I'm totally unavailable for this. And it's like, this is not a thing made up. This is not a, a, a story. This is what I experienced. So when someone downplays it by saying, That had never happened. I think that's another thing. Sitting with somebody in their struggle is hard for many people because they can't imagine it.
0: Suzanne, thank you so much for telling this story. So, since you shared a lot about bullying, in my book, A Gift Motiversity, I talked a little bit about one of the worst moments of my life where I was sexually abused by my dad, physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally, like the whole shebang of the abuse, whatever you think of, like in a situation where you just can't escape. And um, as you mature a little bit, then the sexual abuse gotten like severe. And then I was mute. Like I just couldn't speak and then, I remember, like, the whole week that I just could not talk. The the word didn't come out. And then kids started to bully me, like, deaf. I remember, like, a group of girls, like, surrounding me and making fun of me that I'm mute, I'm deaf. Like, I went crazy, whatever. And then, I don't know, my mental health stage, I don't know, it was just, like, shut down. Like, I just lost a function of being able to reply to people, I lost words completely. And on top of that, the bullying got worse. And I just didn't have capacity to even like process anything and like understand. But later on in my life, I kind of started to be able to talk and speak out and then now I'm 46 I'm getting more but we're going to talk a lot more about advocacy and then like you said saying no no to these things but again I'm so sorry that you ha- you have to go through that and about the weight did you find out if you had maybe a thyroid issues I I do have a thyroid issue like did a doctor say anything
1: I do have some thyroid issues in a family history and I do also have polycystic ovary which can be linked with more issues with weight um but also I would eat like and I think you're know, thinking about the mental health and not having a support system or anybody to talk to at home food never told me off food never ca- like food food was always there it was comforting I felt better for a few moments so Like food really helped me get through it at the time. And then you reach a point in your life where something that was helpful in the past is actually maladaptive when you're in a different stage. So that was when more of the realisation came that the reason diets and stuff weren't working for me was because I was eating when I wasn't hungry. Like I knew what to do. I just didn't do it.
0: (laughs) Wow. So when you were getting bullied in Tasmania, like were there other students or kid who was suffering with that issue, getting bullied? Did you see any other kids who were getting bullied or were you the only one that you could think of that you were getting completely
1: targeted? It was mostly me and I was been reflecting on this, but when I saw someone else getting bullied, like pushed into the slide or the sand pit or... Um, teased I would step in so in hindsight I was inadvertently you know probably making myself more of a target then but I've never been one who could stand back and watch somebody struggle I've always been the one who has to step in and I think you know it's like well I can take it like it's not pleasant and I don't enjoy it but I could take it and some people couldn't like I remember mostly I could hide the tears till I got home and um, other people would be crying there and I think when you step in, then the bullies get more interested in well, what do we need to do to to get this person to crack? <laughs> and I did eventually, like, you know, often, but people who kind of cracked too soon, so to speak, would lose their interest because then they're not getting the response. So yeah, there was a few other kids who were um targeted a bit, but yeah, I, I couldn't stand by. And I remember one time it was kind of like an initiation. And you know, if you do this, you can be one of us. And I was Just no, like I've never wanted to be. uh, I remember reading Glennon Doyle's book Untamed. Have you read that? She talks about what she calls the shiny people, like the cool kids, or you know the ones. And I remember my my chance to be a shiny person, and I was just like, no, like I would maybe I've always been a little bit of a loner or a little bit of a thing, but I couldn't stand by and watch someone else in pain or someone else suffer. So I guess I would shift the target to me. Yes,
0: yeah, so unfortunately sometimes when they create this one target and the one person, like in a school situation, again, especially in a small smaller town, I would say. And then yeah, I just get that. And I just want to share a little bit of story of my friend who was bullied in a black community. He's she's black in America. But then she wrote an essay called Racism Within Racism. And she was basically told, uh, I think whitewash, because she didn't speak like black people. She spoke like white people. And um, she was pretty like intelligent. And then I met her at college, but she was telling me that she was pushed from the stairs and she couldn't take a bus so because bullying was so bad. And her mom had to take her to school just to prevent the bullying from the bus. And it's just so crazy that, like even if you are not um, heavyset or just even like same, like skinny, mm-hmm. that they can target you or how they talk and. Like, you know, say this case of being like whitewashed that she was cold, how they talk. And I had a guest from actually Perth, Australia um, that he was targeted because he's was the only Asian and he's a half Portuguese Portug- and then Chinese, but he was completely targeted and then that led him to addiction. So when you had this significant amount of the life of being bullied in adult life. Suzanne, how did it affect you, like, now or, like, in adult life?
1: That's a great question. I'm Because sometimes you don't know nature versus nurture. Like, I am a very introverted person. I'm very socially awkward, which people laugh at when they – because I run a program, I run a group, I do lots online – And I'm like, yeah, but I'm in my own house. I'm usually only talking to one person or a couple of people. It might be seen by lots, but I'm not on a stage or I'm not in front of lots of people. I really struggle to be in public areas around lots of people. And when my children first went to school, it was so hard for me. As soon as I walk back into a school and there's the smell, like the school smell, like, you know, places have smells. The gym is one, the hospital is one, school is one. It's just like as soon as I was back in there, um, I remember my daughter's orientation, I, I did not want to be there. But fortunately, it's been quite a healing experience because I said they've had a very different experience, but also too, how much have I advocated and listened and been there. So that's a whole lot aside. But, you know, public places, um, schools or places where I've had bad experiences in the past have been harder for me to revisit. And just waiting, like, as I said, in my daughter's swimming carnival, waiting for the jeers, or when my son, he has been recently diagnosed autistic and um, thus far he's going to a, a, st- a regular stream school. I don't know. I don't want to use an inappropriate term, but there's other schools for high needs children. He's not attending one of those as yet. But when he's him, like full him, which I love and adore, I wait for the response for people. Um, and mostly they're really good and really understanding, but there was one time that he had his nails polished and he had his little cape on and some older boys came over and said something to him at the park and he just turned and looked at them and said, I think I look fabulous. And I just, I just love that because it didn't land for him. Like that would have crushed me and I was getting ready to like, do I need to step in here? And because he wasn't a target, they just, just moved off, but I was there anyway. But it was just it was funny. It was like, I don't care what you think of me. I think I look great. And I think that's the biggest thing that I didn't share is I don't think anyone ever bullied me as much as I bullied myself. Like I felt not good enough. I felt too big. I felt unworthy. I felt like I didn't deserve to take up space. And then I saw a lot of that. Whereas as I started to feel like, you know, I'm much self-worth as anyone else it happens less or if someone says something I don't necessarily to take it hard or I just move from the space easier than I perhaps would have in the past but mostly as an adult um yeah groups crowds big things or any sort of project like let's go around the room I'm thinking (laughs) let's not (laughs) so that's how it's affected me as an adult
0: Kind of breaks my heart that you said you bullied yourself more than you get bullied. And how, can you describe a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I guess you the the language of the way you speak to yourself. Like, if you make a mistake, it's like you always do this. Or if you don't get the um the thing that you're trying for, it's because you're not good enough. Or um, yeah, there's something wrong with you. Nobody likes you. Um, just the, the language, I remember, um, I, I'm, I have a bit of salty language, but like I'll tone it down a bit, but, you know, saying to myself, you're fat and lazy and, you know, you don't really want this enough. And it's often reinforced in the media and in messages and in magazines and things that we see. But, you know, it's kind of like they are using those, they're using your words against you to try and usually sell you something. But it's like the, the way that you speak to yourself, like when you're lining up, they're doing the schoolyard pick for like the sport or the soccer or whatever. Like nobody picks you for the soccer team. And, you know, I imagine you're kind of looking down and feeling like this. Well, no one's really going to like, can't make eye contact and go, Hey, Suzanne. Whereas if we did something like that, now, depending what it was, I'd be like, I'm keen. Like I get picked because the affect is different, but the things you say to yourself inside your head, like you don't deserve this or you're not worthy of this or, um, yeah like the comparing the compare and despair to other people who are doing it better or um, things look better like I remember um I wrote about this in my book I painted a picture for class and then I put glitter on it and I was like super proud and my dad took a photo and we printed it out and I walked into class like this is gonna be great and I remember some boys going What did you put photos on there for? Do you think you're a model? What's with all that glitter? How old are you? Like all that. And I just remember like kind of like leaning over my project, trying to cover up that I'd spent all weekend making this thing. And I think in in hindsight, like sometimes we tear other people's things down because we feel inferior. Like a lot of people hadn't done anything. Like literally come to school, they'd forgotten about the project. Or they had a blank piece of paper with a couple of things written on there. So they're not tearing at mine because mine was this. They're tearing at mine because they felt something in themselves. But as a child, I didn't understand that. And I just like, oh, you're too over the top. You're too much. You're trying too hard. Um, And then I became embarrassed by it, whereas now I'd just be like, yeah, this is is fabulous. Like my son just mirrored that so well. I think this is fabulous. And I was like, if you have that inside, that self-concept of like, of course mine's good, I'm enough that you're not looking from it from other people you you resource yourself
0: well thank you so much for sharing that and a lot of times like say my case is that i got bullied by my father mostly and then um the not the physical not only the physical sexual um abuse but the Verbal abuse was really, really, really horrible. Sometimes he called me like, you're trying to be a whore or are you are stupid. And that's my father. And my grandma was saying, I don't want to raise you. Like your mom, like whose bitch like left you and I had no choice. You're not my priority. And then when you hear those things constantly, like your self-esteem, just doesn't exist it, it it's it's not there and then later on like when i was 17 i became a model and then right now i'm in major like motion picture i've done a lot of modelings and sometimes even like i remember i wrote in my book when i was doing the musical um one of the lead character who did King for The King and I, I gave him ride, and then he was like, "Cherie, you are stunning, drop-dead gorgeous. Like, you're one of the most gorgeous person I've ever met. Yeah, you have the lowest self-esteem. Why? And I didn't really, like, understand what he said. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, maybe because my dad abused me. But not only that, it's just a subconscious thing that, like, you know, when you are constantly getting Rolling horrible words towards you, and your self-image and the subconscious become like that. It's like a, the thickest wall that you cannot go over. And the images that you create, the beliefs that you put in, that's really truly not you. You cannot like jump over it.
1: I think that's such a powerful point. Um- I wouldn't have even considered, like, you know, verbal abuse from, from my family and in particular my dad, because that's just the way they are. I remember being called by my dad, you know, buffalo butt, thunder thighs. Um, I always had a big middle belly. So my sisters used to call my middle Miranda. They'd, be like, they'd see Miranda before they saw Suzanne, Miranda the Veranda, because I carried a spare tire, spare tire around my middle. Um, and all these things. And whenever I said, like, this is making me uncomfortable or I don't like this, oh, it's just a joke. And it's just like, but it's not a joke to me. And I remember once, like, when we first moved out of Tasmania up to Queensland, I'd lost a lot of weight for my wedding and then I gained it all back and more. So I was literally twice the size and I feared going home. Like, I wanted to see my family because I missed them, but I knew what would happen. And sure enough, when I did see them, hey, you've bunged on the lard. And it's just like, the, the fear of going to things like going to reunions or going to things we haven't seen people in a while because there'll be the, the comments about your weight and it's like but then there's other people because now I've dropped a lot of weight I used to weigh twice what I do now who when I had the photos or when I was talking about it in my book they're like I never saw you that way I just saw you like whether you know they just weren't aware of it and the whole thing that's like you went through all this and you were my friend and I had no idea. And I think for anybody who's suffered bullying or abuse or something, some people witness it and and can't cope. So just kind of block it out and don't realize it. And some people just don't see it because we become really good at masking it and hiding it. But like the the fear of going home or the fear of running into people I haven't seen in a long time because there'll be comments about my weight is um is yeah, it's, it's a thing. And even when I go to things now, like at the time of recording this tomorrow, we're going on holiday, taking my kids to the themes park. They're so keen to go on the roller coasters, but even to this stage, whenever I'm lining up, I'm always like, am I going to fit on this? Am I going to fit on this? I will fit on it easily, but my brain is still like, I'm going to get kicked off. I'm too big. Um, someone's going to say something because that is the identity and the concept that you carry around for so long and I remember being somewhere once and I was I must be muttering it to myself and the right attendant's like, you kidding? And I was like, no, I'm serious. But like you might lose the physical weight or you might drop that, but your identity still can be, you know, back in the past. Um, and the things that do to others seem like verbal abuse or whatever to you, they don't be because that's just how it's been. And if you ever mention it or say, Um, I very recently said to my dad something he goes that's just a joke and I said well that's not funny to me like if if this happens again the conversation will be over I'll talk to you another day but as a kid you don't have that you live at home when you're under my roof you do what I say Um, so it becomes an experience and then yeah not realizing that 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 is what you hear so somebody does say something good to you it makes me think of The Tupperware um, shape-os, you know where you put the toys in the Tupperware that the shape matches and you put them inside? Have you seen those? Yeah, so if you've only got the shape, the X shape, like a bully shape, that's all you literally are available for. So somebody says something nice, you don't even register it because you're waiting for the other thing Um, and that's how your language is too and you just become used to this.
0: It's interesting the fear that you carry through even when you're an adult, that my fear is lunch. So while well, I got bullied all my over my lunch that my grandma was making where other young moms were making this colorful lunch and then my grandma was like more like a brownish, like a Japanese traditional food. And I got bullied so bad every day. And then I was like to the point like I don't want to go to the cafeteria. I don't want to like open my lunch because people just make fun of my lunch, and then um when I told my grandma, it was just a whole big drama that I'm not ever gonna make lunch for you, blah blah blah. And then she stopped making lunch when I was like 11, 12. So I had to stop waking up early and then start to make lunch for myself. And then when interestingly, like when I was teaching like the summer camp or whatever, and then I had to bring my own lunch, I was so scared to open my lunch. Like I made it, but like I just got so traumatized, and then. I was in, like, 30s or whatever, and, like, why am I scared? And I'm terrified completely, and then you just can't get
1: over it. It's it's so sad. The bullying is so sad. Yeah, I'm so sorry that happened. And, yeah, it's because to you it, it, it becomes an expectation or a memory or a wide way of being. And then to someone else, and also, too, I think this is the thing about bullying that nobody really talks about. To you, it, to somebody else, that might not bother them. Like they might be like, oh, who cares? It's just lunch. So they can't relate to that. But we all have our things that to us are a really big deal. Like I remember um, if people ever made comments on my hair or whatever, I, I never cared. That doesn't bother me. But anything about my weight, just immediate, immediate thing. And so like if somebody commented on... Um, on my lunch like that's another thing when you're bigger you tend to not eat much around people because you're worried that they're going to comment should you really be eating that or have you tried this or whatever so you'd eat really light in front of people and then do drive-through or sneak eat food at the way home and people would even sometimes say things like I don't understand why you're so big you eat like a bird or this kind of thing because you would be so paranoid to eat something around people who you know um, but then again, skinny people have it too, because so I remember other people being like, well, just have a hamburger or just eat this. So um, I guess it's there's, there's going to be things and it's looking at, you know, what is it in particular for you? Because I'm sure I've inadvertently commented on someone's hair or done something, but to them is a big deal. So I guess, you know, we are villains in somebody's story, but we're not villains,
0: Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. So let's shift to the second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome your cases, this um big issue bubbling, and then uh wait. So this part of the podcast, I cherish it, and then I really appreciate all of my guests today. Is episode 89, almost going towards hundred episodes, and then um each guest that came from all over the world had shared very unique tools. And then my hope is that this part of the podcast can really change somebody's lives. So what was the tool what were the tools that you
1: used that truly worked and shifted for you? One of the simplest tools is journaling, but I call it just like a brain dump. Um, just getting it out of my head and onto the page because we have a shower for our physical body like every day or hopefully we do (laughs) Um, and journaling is like a mental shower so it's because the thing is when it's in your head you can almost gaslight yourself oh it's not that bad I'll just think positive thoughts I'll just ignore it or whatever but when you get it out onto the page then you can kind of step back and, and dissociate from it and go like not from a place of judgment because you've already been judged enough by yourself or by others, but from a place of observation, it's like, wow. And when you first start to do it, it can be really challenging because it's like the thoughts can be like cockroaches in your mind. You shine a light on them and they want to scuttle away. So the resistance, it's, it's the tool that I find the most valuable, but to this day, the tool I resist the most because especially when, if I am on like a downward spiral, because that's the thing too, healing happens, but there's other layers. It's like an onion. It's not like now my life's amazing. That's the Disney princess movie. Like there are times where the things happen. And in the past, when I turned back to food, because food is another one, food is the one that I had growing up. It was maladaptive. It resulted in me being really big. But in the moment, It helped. So as an adult, I used to spend so many years thinking I was broken or thinking, like, why can't you just get it together? Why can't you just eat differently? But now I actually see that. Like, I love how your your podcast, your show, your book, The Gift in Adversity. When I start going back to food now, and very recently I have. So this is a it's a, a challenging time to share this. But instead of getting down on myself or blaming myself, it's like, where am I not looking after myself? Like what needs aren't being met? What am I not addressing here? Like it's like a traffic light sign that something is amiss. It's not a um, it's not a cue to freak out or that I'm going to get big again or that I can't, you know, that I'm a hypocrite. It's like, hang on, there's something here. So I think, you know, when we have a maladaptive behaviour and we start practising it again, what so the system I have now another tool that I have is I call it the traffic lights so the green light is when everything's going good life's wonderful and the red light is when knee deep in chocolate and wondering what happened what are the orange lights so when I start to purchase things for the kids like when I go to the shop and I'm like I'll get this for the kids I really know it's for me Or when I start going shopping when I'm hungry, like that is the most dangerous time. I never grocery shop when I'm hungry. I'll come home with the entire aisle of stuff. So it's like, these are the signs that are like, hang on, something needs to change here. So, you know, you're not looking after yourself rather than looking for the next program, the next coach, the next podcast to fix me because I'm not broken. And then remembering that, the experiences that I've had, like I can tend to, as the human brain does, default to the negative. Like, you know, there's also been positive experience I've had. So my in my mind, it's like I've got my my um Tupperware thing and I'm building the receptors for the positive and starting to take on positive feedback. So I know a lot of people talk about gratitude, and I've never actually successfully had a gratitude practice because as soon as I hear the word. I can literally hear my mum when I was a child, you should be grateful, they're starving children in Africa. So Africa, Africa. gratitude is a really loaded term for me. Um, so instead, i just like, I've got a word allergy, appreciation. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> but when I say I appreciate things, it doesn't feel loaded, it doesn't feel heavy. And I can appreciate even the small things. Like as I was coming in to record this, my son jumped in the doorway and he's like, hug trap (laughs) and I was just thinking that's something I'll write down tonight I appreciate how he just hides around corners and has the hug trap like you know I appreciate um that I appreciate the being asked to speak on podcasts like this and shows and share and and if one person hears this and feels less alone or what I get from this too from sharing the story like that that thing you brought to light for me about the small school the small space I had never considered that before and that probably is a big contributing factor but like the the healing doesn't happen once it's something that happens again and again and again Um, and we can get activated I don't like the term triggered activated again but instead of freaking out when I get activated it's like what else is ready to heal now that wasn't ready before
0: it's very interesting. And then thank you so much for crediting that about the podcast, coming to this podcast and then this, discovering something. And then I just wanted to let you know that um, the reason why I mentioned about the, the small town versus big town or the cultural shift or cyber shift and then the awareness and preventions and all that stuff. And I think the tools that we can use as an adult and as the people that we um went through the adversity of uh, our common cases bullying um my kids got bullied heavily really bad like race racial thing like what are you two brownies doing here when we went swimming pool or black monkey negro they are mixed race i got bullied i got discriminated like can you speak english like, that's why you don't have a boyfriend, like, I don't know, it's just, like, people discredit me because I'm Asian female, like, these things happen, but then my tool of being is practicing the kind of um, dialogue with my kids, So we do, like, role play, and then my son's getting really good at it, and then we kind of, like, really started to like come up with the plan a b c d e they like, could know what to say and just to it you know that bullying comes in a form in adult life is like abuse as well like verbal abuse and domestic violence included and it gets really very really serious because like you said people get sophisticated in bullying and the police gets involved, court gets involved, it's ugly. But then I think you really have to be smarter, outsmart these people and then really come up with the plan and advocacy program. As a journalist myself, I have have had advocated many difficult situations. And stemming from the bullying and stemming from targeted to the weak. But then also, like, one time I was talking to my son. She was called, are you stupid? And he's, like, distinguished. He's, like, high honor. He does, like, modeling and the movie and everything. There's no way he's stupid. And then he told me, mommy, like, next time, like, I was, oh, he said to the kid, because he he kept bullying him in the bus. He said, I just told that." you know, guy, I just told that kid, oh, are you talking to me or are you talking to yourself? And I thought it was brilliant. And then those are the moments. And now myself, if somebody bullies me on a movie set or a professional situation, I learn how to write email and then send it to the right people. And I've seen the people who I reported get fired and I've seen people who value my concerns, and I bring attention. And then I was in a situation where I, I became upstander. And I, I'm not a mandatory reporter, but I'm really getting stronger and then good at identifying what's right, what's wrong. And even like a group situation, I'm, e- I'm the only one who's not laughing. Like you say jokes, but then jokes – is two-way streets you have to agree that it's funny but if one person like you said if that person does not if that person does not agree with you that you know he or she doesn't think it's funny and that's not a joke and that becomes like offense that becomes verbal abuse and the people have to start to recognize these things so how do you think that Australia, like I don't know about the culture in Australia, so, do you think it's changing? Like you mentioned about your children and then their peers getting more kind of supportive in a way. But then do you think the system itself, society itself, is having a more understanding about bullying and prevention standpoint of it? Is there a legislature, legislation? Is there any law, bills that signed to prevent these things?
1: Not that I know of. Um, Australia in general is just kind of got a long way to come in that regard because we have, you know, oh, she be right, mate. Oh, it's just a joke. Oh, you're too sensitive. Oh, you're too soft, copper. Like it's the way, you know, there is a lot that needs to, to change there, but there are people who are really starting to speak up about it, like Grace Tame being one of them. And, you know, I think but it takes a lot to be that one who stands up and says, well, I don't find it funny and and hold that, especially when you're the in the beginning, the lone voice. Like I remember when that happened to me at medical school, going to the year coordinator and saying, what is this? Like I, I literally took, like I'd never bought the yearbook before. I'm not that kind of person. I don't go to the parties. I don't do this. That was the one thing I went to. Um, I took it out of the library because I hadn't purchased it. I remember it beeping in the library running after me and I'm just marching down the years coordinator's room and I'm like, I'm not happy w- with this. Um, and then making the people come and apologise to me. But they only did it because they were made. And they were just like, oh, we just thought it was a joke. So it's like, what kind of apology is this? A forced one that they're just like, they're not seeing how much I was upset by this. They were like, it, you know, you just don't have a sense of humour. And um, in some areas it's getting better, like certainly things, racial slurs and stuff, there have been a few incidences in sport where people have been really taken to task and it has gone to um, appropriations and things. But in other areas um, like gender and, and weight and um, appearance, not so much as yet that I've seen, but yeah, it just takes the people to to stand up. And often you don't want to stand up because you don't want to bring any more attention to it. You just want it to be over with. I think you know the reason that I did stand up a little with that thing was because it was in a published publication that you know it was available in the library. Like it's probably still there. I don't know; it might even be online now. It's like people are going to see that. My kids could see that. But often it doesn't. There's they can't be re- repercussions for something that somebody said because it becomes a she said she said or their word against theirs and the the lone voice against the crowd it's like oh they just didn't understand me and I've said to a number of people over the years now I did understand you I just don't find it funny and then they either just still don't think that I got it Or um, it's just, it's interesting to look at the response when I I do say it's like, yeah, I I understand you. I'm just not amused.
0: I think the legal standpoint, Suzanne, if I were you, like you never asked for media release. You never asked for the permission. So that's against the law. You violated my permission and then release. Like I never signed the media release. And what is going on in here? Like they could completely... Like the burn, the resources, and then just you know, republish or um, erase, delete. Like you know, if I were you, like if my kids got targeted like that, I would go all the way to state house. I would go all the way to publication company, and I would like destroy everything. Like I would say, my kids never signed a media release. You published without my consent of things that's inappropriate to make fun of my way, make fun of me. Or make fun of my daughter, make fun of my son. I would not tolerate this. And you committed a crime, violated the human rights. In like, I would just go crazy. Like, my daughter was choked. Four times, like in the kindergarten. I And I called the police, I emailed, and I said, This is a third degree felony charge. If somebody comes to me on the street and it chokes me, that guy will go to jail. Why are you doing that? Like, why do you think this is okay? It's the fourth time. So sometimes bringing the legal terms, doing the research of uh, what are the consequences and what kind of human rights you have, and eloquently elaborate to the right person in charge, that can really change. And I learned that advocacy service through my journalism and being a TV and film producer as well. Because some of the cases, for instance, like I go to the school and then some of the kids didn't sign the media release. Therefore I was not able to publish that specific photo. Because some of the children are involved with the Dep- department of children and family and they don't have the release. So we have to navigate and we have to get permission from the principal. And this is not even making fun of this is just like Patriots visiting the new NFL player visiting the school for like um, reading program. And even then school is very careful with that. So I'm surprised that, you know, they allow that. So I feel like as a person, as a parent, we always have a legal rights and we always have. advocacy, and I feel that not some people speak out in a way using the legal terms. And you know, when you come out, come down on the legal term like that, like say the black monkey Negro is a hate crime, and I told the principal, I'm a journalist, I, if, I, if I go to White House, and if I address the president, Barack Obama, black monkey Negro, first of all, I'll go to jail, it's a hate crime. And I will lose the job. And why are you demanding my son to do peer to peer? And then he's like, "Oh, he has to learn how to share space." No, it's a crime. You don't share a space, that person will go to jail. Period. So I changed the school because if you need to understand, there's a law. Nobody is above the law, and if the system leader is not comprehending the rights, we just have to. Change the space or even move. And that's another solution that you always have a power, you always have a choice. If the system is broken, there's a place always that the system is working and that you have advocacy and you have a support. And then you always forget when you are in the middle of the bullying. That's my case. Like I escaped from my dad when I was 13. I don't know how the hell I did that, but you always have to, like, survive.
1: I love that, and I love the way that you spoke to that, because I do remember after I spoke to the person going to the board and stuff and sending letters and just hearing nothing in return and sending a number of them, but you know, how I'd handle it differently now. Maybe if I go and visit again, I will go into the library and demand that it gets removed because, as you said, I never gave permission. And it's funny, my daughter recently went to a, a a school thing. Anyway, they had the photo out and I was showing my sister and she was like, why have so many children got their back turned? And I said, because their parents haven't given permission for them to be photographed and it was easier to keep them all in one group. So instead of having, you know, some children, well, you've got to get out for that very reason that you just said like there could be we don't know what's going on and their parents haven't given permission so um and every year having to sign the permission and i just love that because yes i'm happy for my child to be photographed but i understand there are other people who don't and that that is met and respected and encouraged and yeah it's totally a thing
0: well thank you so much for having this conversation it's very important and as a mom um, as a parent and as as an adult who experienced this significant amount of mental health effect and then how it's leading to adulthood. Like, it's not just a small incident. It's life, long-lasting negative impact of your self-image and then life decisions and how you move in the society. And nobody understands, like, how bad it is that it's going to have a life-lasting impact. 100%.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: So let's move to the last question, which is a gift that came from your adversity. So how would you say a gift that came from your adversity?
1: But it stops with me. Like generationally in my family, I think we've tended to be the people pleasers or the doormats or the yes people. And when you do start to set boundaries and say no, um, people are not pleased necessarily because they might feel inconvenienced or they might feel that you're targeting them, or they might feel, you know, any sorts of things like that. But I see my children um, standing up for themselves like well I think I look fabulous end of story or like why would you want to go on a diet I like chocolate or like just having so much healthier relationships with not only me and and their father but themselves and then the ability to ask for the help and know that mum will have their back but not so that they can you know, not take responsibility for their actions or whatever, but like that they have that soft place to land and to come home and to talk about what happened. It was funny, my, well, not funny, but my daughter had a, a nightmare recently and she came in at like 3 a.m. and telling me about it. And I was like, well, just get into bed. You can sleep here. It's fine. We'll talk about tomorrow. She's like, oh, no, I, I really want to talk about it now. I'm like life coaching at 3 a.m. <laughs> so the, the gift is like that ability to, speak what's happening and identify what is acceptable what isn't acceptable and actually communicate my needs to others while also being mindful that my experience hasn't been their experience but that doesn't mean that I need to discount my own like sometimes when I speak to my sisters or we have different recollections of an event instead of making it mean that I was wrong or whatever. It's like I saw it differently or I experienced differently. Like there is 17 years between my youngest, my oldest sister and me. So she was an adult, an adult for things that I experienced as a child. And it's like, you know, we are each different. I think the, the gift in, in bullying, it's like, and also too, I can see places where people come to me with things where I didn't even realise I might have been seen as bullying them. Like, you know, sometimes if I'm impatient or if I'm um, not focused, like I'm focusing on something. So as a result of that, being clearer with the discussion. So an example I can think of is one time my son just said completely offhand, you love your phone more than me. And I was really heartbroken. And I remember I sat my phone down and I spoke to him about it. And I realized as a result of that, like I was responsive to emails and notifications and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, I wasn't being present with him. Like I was there physically, but I was with my phone. So now I, I deleted email off my phone um and, and the apps and stuff. And yes, I still use them, but like when I'm working, I'm working now. When I'm here, I'm here. And when I'm with my kids and I'm with my kids, I'm not trying to do many things at once. And I think sometimes when we are um trying to, you know, please everybody or tick all the boxes, then we don't stay in touch with themselves with ourselves so it's kind of like being really clear on you know I'm working I'm I'm mumming or playing or we're doing family time or I'm just also having my own time to just do whatever it is that I like instead of being always at you know like the beck and call whether it be email or notifications or you know kids mum 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 so having good clear boundaries with um, myself and my family and then modeling that for others that it's okay to say no and also, no doesn't necessarily mean that I don't like the person or whatever. And no doesn't mean no forever. It could just be no, not today. Or um, thank you so much for inviting me. See, a movie, in the past, if someone said, do you want to go and see this? I would just go, even if I wasn't interested. But saying, actually, thank you so much for inviting me. I don't really enjoy sci-fi. Is there anything else showing? Because what what am I wanting? To spend time with the person. And, so, you know, the outlet doesn't matter so much, but most people are accommodating or open to like, well, actually, let's find something that's mutual. Doing something with other people doesn't mean that I have to do something that I don't enjoy. And I think I wouldn't have been really as clear on that if I hadn't had the experiences that I have.
0: Thank you so much, Suzanne, for coming into from University. Before you go, if there's somebody who's listening to this podcast who's getting lead right now what's your biggest advice that you can give that give to that person
1: my biggest advice would be to find someone to share like to speak with however choose your audience so like say for example if it was me right now I know that my parents wouldn't be the people I'd go to because they uh, they're incapable of holding that space and there, if you don't have anybody in your life, as in a family member or a friend, there are so many hotlines, there are so many services, there are so many things available free and paid, but your experience is valid. And if there isn't anybody in your immediately circle who can validate that for you or hear or hold space, then you can find somebody who will and know that, you know, you're not alone and you're not the only one and your chances are you're not overreacting um but finding that person who can, can listen and hold space and sit with you for this rather than downplay it or dismiss it is is invaluable.
0: I love what you said about don't go to the people who are incapable of holding the space for you. And whether it's parents or siblings, and again, like they're not their they're not your counsellor or you know, they don't have emotional intelligence to order space for you. You're so right. And, you know, I just completely understand the choosing the audience part of it. And then, unfortunately, when you're getting bullied, it's so much happening in your brain. But at the same time, you really have to choose who you share with. So you don't get second or third shock wave, which I have gotten it multiple times and it sucks so you are 100 percent right um really protect yourself but thank you so much for sharing this um, experience and having this vulnerable conversation with us and really bringing this difficult conversation to forefront and bringing more awareness to our generation and then to our next generation thank you so much again for coming to a gift university
1: thank you so much for having me